0: Hey, I'm Asher. And I'm Jackson. And what you're about to listen to is strictly confidential.
1: Hey, Asher, how's your week been? Oof, it was better a second ago. Before that. Before the crime I committed?
0: I'm... If we didn't talk before we did that i would be concerned for you but i know you're fine
1: oh i'm absolutely fine i have a question for you and it is to s- preface it i want to say it is very pretentious
0: okay if we're going to be switching to pretentious i'm going to get my thesaurus open okay so I great. Can pretend that i know these words off the top of my head
1: so the actual question i'll pair i'll i'll fix what i said the actual question isn't pretentious my example of what I'm asking you is going to be pretentious. Do you ever have a thing that you could do in a one way that would be very easy, but another method for it is way more meticulous and takes a lot more precision, and so you do it that way instead? Oh my God, so much. Are you forgetting that I am
0: the hipster in this relationship? <laughs> I'm not saying something, because you thought you could confuse me, but I actually have great examples of what you're talking about which is how I make coffee every morning.
1: I'm glad you or immediately got what I'm joking about. Because you and I- I
0: could just press a button, but I decide to n- make it hard for no reason.
1: So I have realized that I go beyond that now, because we both know that there are ways to make coffee where you just press a button, but we make it pour over or AeroPress. press. To do it a little bit fancier, right? And make a better cup of coffee. And those are very precision-based. I've been doing pour-overs recently because I've been wanting more than just one cup at a time. But that's very precision-based, right? Yes, it is. I have recently bought, uh, for about $6, a used old mocha pot that I have cleaned out and started using. And every cup of coffee I've made from it so far has been bad. But... It's because it takes so much more precision and for some reason I keep trying thinking I just want to get this down and I want to figure it out and find all of the little kinks and glitches and fix it all myself. You know what I mean? Yes. it's, It's It's
0: fun to be an expert.
1: It's even more complicated than doing a pour over where it's like pour at this exact speed with this exact heat for 26.32 seconds in a slow spiral and then do that again 11 times. And that's how you do a pour over, right? I'm just going to say yes. That's how you do a pour over. <laughs> Obviously, that's an exaggeration, but that's the intensity of kind of the particulars with a pour over, right? I mean, if you're doing it, you might as well do it right. Right. Um, with the mocha pot, it's this old, old machine. And I could not tell you how old mine is. But I know my dad found one from when he was really young at our house in like January. So the premise is you put hot water in the bottom, you put a like canister with coffee grounds on that on top of the whole thing, you twist on this big thing. And the whole thing is like steel or some metal, I could not guess metal, I don't know. Um, It's some silver metal. And you have to have but the issue is, if you want to, the coffee to taste too metallic, or if you don't want the coffee to taste too metallic, you heat up the coffee in a kettle still, and then put the water in the base, and then move the base to a different burner that is
0: medium heat, and heat the whole thing up. But you can't, you, it has to be a very specific medium heat, because the coffee will spout through the top, but if it's too hot, it will shoot
1: in different directions, and if it's not hot enough, it won't make coffee. And the whole process, so far, has only made bad coffee. And that's fine until you start explaining to everyone
0: how this procedure is better than just doing it, quote unquote, normally, unless there is a dramatic difference in the taste. And that's what makes, I think, me the least insufferable kind of hipster is that I understand that vinyl does not sound better than digital. I'm not going to say like, oh, man, the warm tones that you get from blah, blah, blah. I just like that it's a pain in the ass. I'm a stay at home graphic designer, Jackson. My life is easy. I need something to be a chore.
1: I realized too, as I was doing it this morning and as I was drinking my bad cup of coffee, all I could think was, I'm going to so much work for this, and the method I already make coffee is already so much work. I have gone up so many different levels of making coffee to make a cup, making a cup of coffee that I don't even love from doing a Keurig that would probably be about as fine as my mocha pot. It's producing an end result that is in no way better than an easier option just because I want to learn the process. And I don't know, maybe everybody has stuff like that. I I think there's value to that, man. I think people eventually, I mean,
0: you see the resurgence of vinyl and sorry to use that example again, but everyone thought that was going to be a fad and then it's just continued to grow over the past decade, is not fizzled out. It's just an avenue through which people can express the want to work hard for something they love.
1: Uh, before we before we move on, we should give a quick word to our sponsor, Stock Cold Brew, uh, because they're my favorite way to drink coffee.
0: <laughs> Even though it's definitely pronounced "stoke," but we're not going to call them that until they pay us.
1: Yeah, our our new our new method for sponsorships is we will constantly misquote and misrepresent things we love until they correct us <laughs> and say we'll pay you to do it right.
0: Actually, we just offer different tiers of representation where it's like, okay, you can pay us the least amount of money, and we'll say this episode is brought to you by Sonic America's Driven, or if you want to pay the premium, we'll say Sonic America's (laughs) Drive-In.
1: That's perfect. It's a kind of flawless uh, sponsorship uh, scaling scheme.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, you got to be flexible. Oh boy, I have nothing.
1: (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) This one going to be a little bit more of a hoop to jump through?
0: Well... That's a strong well, because I'm stalling. (laughs) Well, well, is it any coincidence that we talked about liquids at the beginning of our episode again? Probably not. I think there's actually some pretty obvious causality there. There's a pretty direct through line. But I don't believe, Jackson, in the idea of coincidences. But does everything happen because of a cause? Is there a direct cause and effect to every event in the universe? That's the axiom of causality which is the idea that there is no thing that occurs without some previous thing influencing it and putting it in that state, everything having cause and effect. So causality, when defined very expansively, says nothing can happen without being caused. That's so definite that it's really hard to reconcile with, you know, quantum physics. There are instances in which we can probably observe effects without apparent causes, but how do we reconcile this? That's where we introduce the idea of synchronicity. Have you ever heard of this, Jackson?
1: Uh, Only because you texted me telling me we were talking about this.
0: Well, as with most things that appear on the titles of books in the New Age section, we are only going to be able to get to the surface level of this topic, which is why we have a new subdivision of Strictly Confidential. We have the Cryptid Corner for one. This new branch of our podcast is called The Shallow End. Tweet, tweet, lifeguard whistle. No diving, you'll break your nose. This is like two feet. We're gonna go two feet deep. But the synchronicity
1: pool- This lifeguard is not good with kids. (laughs) (laughs) He just told my little boy Jimmy he's gonna break his nose. Look, you gotta scare them straight, all right?
0: Jimmy's crying now. The synchronicity pool could be used to instruct people on scuba diving because this thing goes deep. But it's interesting enough that I have to present this idea to you. But it's going to require some extracurricular reading if you are interested in it. Even if I had expert knowledge on the concept of synchronicity, it would take a lot more than 30 minutes to be able to fully explain it. Okay. But there are some great general definitions that will introduce this idea that is both science and psychology. Some would call it pseudoscience, but I'll let you be the judge of that. So synchronicity is a concept first introduced by the analytical psychologist Carl Jung, J-U-N-G, not Jung, Carl Jung. It holds that events are meaningful coincidences if they occur with no causal relationship, yet seem to be related. So he introduced this concept as early as the 1920s, which importantly for later is around the same time that quantum physics was introduced, but he didn't really come up with a full statement on it until 1951. It was an idea that was cooking for 30 years. And over that period of time, it's, the definition sort of changed. So what we're working with now is kind of what he ended up on. Let's do what I used to do in junior high and fill out this paper with a Merriam-Webster definition. Webster describes synchronicity as the coincidental occurrence of events, and especially psychic events, such as similar thoughts in a widely separated person, in widely separated persons, or a mental image of an unexpected event before it happens, that seem related but are not explained by conventional mechanisms of causality. Now there's a lot of expensive words. Can you Eli5 that for me? Well, I got bad news. That is one of the simplest definitions. Because to hear it explained from Carl Jung himself is to feel as though a spell is being put upon you. And that's why it's easy for me to call it pseudoscience, because it feels like Technobabble from Star Trek. Yes, I'm going to jump over to live science and the writer Benjamin Radford, who is a known skeptic and an avid writer about like he's his whole deal is debunking paranormal. He's one of those wet blanket types, but at least he's a pretty good writer. He says the term synchronicity was coined by Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung. He had a strong belief in a wide variety of paranormal phenomenon, including psychic powers, astrology, alchemy, predicative dreams or predictive dreams. UFOs and telekinesis. He was obsessed with numerology, the belief that certain numbers have special cosmic significance, and could that, numer- that uh, numerology could predict important life events. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm a little against starting off with this because what Benjamin's trying to do here is discredit this theory immediately by jumping straight to some of the things that Jung believed that are considered incredible.
1: It's invalidating one piece of somebody's beliefs based on a different piece.
0: Yeah, and I don't think that's totally fair to start with that. He does at least cut through the techno babble. He says Jung's concept of synchronicity is complicated and poorly defined, but it can be boiled down to describing meaningful coincidences. So the concept of synchronicity came to Jung during the early 1900s. Jung became convinced that everything in the universe is intimately connected, and that suggested to him that there must exist a collective unconsciousness. And we've talked about the idea of the collective unconsciousness before, and it's a concept that I've been interested in for a while. And it seems like he's one of the people who really kind of nailed that down, or at least came up with that, coined that
1: phrase, the collective unconsciousness. What are we meaning by a collective unconsciousness?
0: That psychically, we are all linked in some way, as though we are a part of some greater organism. Like we're all, it's pretty easy to jump to some Eastern philosophy and Buddhism, but What's important is that Jung doesn't really jump to any religion. He hmm. is he's, he's the original spiritual but not religious. He was making his best attempt to reconcile emotion and spirituality with science. And he did hmm. in ways that were very convincing, at least for the time. Like what? Well, a lot of what backs up synchronicity and why it's difficult to define is that it's really based on personal experience. All the evidence is by necessity anecdotal because he's trying to expl- find some reason for extreme coincidences in our lives. This is during a time where we're transitioning from just assuming that any sort of coincidence is a message from God or the intervention of grace and trying to explain it with science. And for Jung, just saying that it's coincidence wasn't good enough. It wasn't believable to him. We're kind of seeing at this period of time, the popularization of an idea that we take for granted now, which is the law of large numbers. Everyone knows the example of giving, you know, monkeys typewriters, they eventually bang out Shakespeare, or just that within a large enough sample size, you're going to see, you're almost inevitably going to see any type of unlikely event. So can I, you mind if I wonder for a sec? Sure. I'm about to give you some examples that Jung gives in his book, Synchronicity. To help really cement in your mind what he's talking about.
1: Now that's great. I'd like to wonder before that. Okay. Do we think that, and I'm sure you're going to ask this kind of question later, so don't, so let me know if I'm stepping on anything. Do you think that he is the kind of guy that thought first, I don't, I am not okay with all of these coincidences happening? Or do you think he thought, I wonder if these coincidences are connected and tried to, I, I'm just, it interests me a lot, and I can't exactly explain why, but it interests me a lot to figure out where this guy came from to address this problem. Does that make sense? Because I think there are two possible mindsets. He could be very aggressively saying, there is no way this is true. There is no way these things are not connected. Let me connect them. Or, and that's what I'm viewing as the aggressive one, or the curious one that says, I wonder if these random coincidences are connected. And I don't don't need an answer for that, I just, I'm viewing both of those options in my mind right now as kind of of a Schrodinger's Strictly Confidential episode. What you're bringing up there
0: is confirmation bias, the tendency to search for information that confirms what you already believe. So you're kind of asking, like, did he already, was he predispositioned to believe that things don't happen by coincidence and then search for evidence? Or was he so shocked by the evidence that he had to believe things don't happen by coincidence? It's kind of hard to tell which came first, and we have to kind of we have to kind of uh, put ourselves in the mindset of someone in 1920 when the idea of a confirmation bias was not widespread, and previously people always assigned emotional, meaningful reasons for coincidences in their lives, whether it was their particular God speaking to them, whether it was preordained, whether it was a message, whether it was their own ESP. Jung is trying to bridge the gap here between pure like religious, spiritualism, and hard science. But he gives an example of what he means by a coincidence that is meaningful and maybe a little too radical to just chalk up to probability. So in Synchronicity, he tells the following story. My example concerns a young woman and patient who, in spite of efforts made on both sides, proved to be psychologically inaccessible. The difficulty lay in the fact that she always knew better about everything. Her excellent education had provided her with a weapon ideally suited to this purpose, namely a highly polished uh, Cartesian rationalism with an impeccably geometrical idea of reality. After several fruitless attempts to sweeten her rationalism with a somewhat more human understanding, I had to confine her, I had to confine myself to the hope that something unexpected and, and irrational would just turn up, something that would burst the intellectual retort into which she had now sealed herself.
1: Oh, so did well, he do?
0: Did he do experiments then? So Carl Jung was not a scientist. He was a psychiatrist. He was highly promoted by physicists during his time. So he became very science adjacent, but he wasn't a physicist. He wasn't a scientist. He was a psychiatrist. Okay. So he was working with patients and he was adapting the science of the time to the best he could understand it to his practice. I was sitting opposite her one day, with my back to the window, listening to her flow of rhetoric. She had an impressive dream the night before, in which she someone had given her a golden scarab, a very costly piece of jewelry. While she was still telling me this dream, I heard something behind me gently tapping against the window. I turned around and saw that it was a fairly large flying insect that was knocking against the window pane from the outside in the obvious effort to get into the dark room. This, to me, seemed very strange. I opened the window and immediately... Uh, opened the window immediately and caught the insect in the air as it flew in. It was a scarabied beetle, a common rose chafer, whose gold-green color most nearly resembles that of a golden scarab. I handed the beetle to the patient with the words, Here is your scarab. And this experience punctured the desired hole in her rationalism and broke the ice of her intellectual resistance. The treatment could now be continued with satisfactory results. Hmm. So he gives the example of this hyper-rational skeptic, Someone who he says believes in the impeccable geometry of her reality and that everything can be explained. Everything has cause and effect. But then she has this dream about a golden scarab. And while she's telling that story, a scarab beetle flies into the window and he just like hands it to her. He's like, you mean this? Uh, That was bound to happen because large numbers to to Carl Jung. That was a greater leap of faith in that people were just trusting numbers and Numbers was their new god. They didn't really understand them, but they produced what they thought was results. So they're just kind of abstractly attributing this fantastical event to big numbers, but not really explaining how those numbers produce this event. So for Jung, that was an even larger leap of faith than just assuming there was some cosmic force binding the universe together. And even the most rational mind that's based like he says that's constantly espousing rhetoric was blown away by like the this coincidence was just too great for them to assume that it was mere probability it was mere law of large numbers so this is a necessarily emotional theory it is starting with the human desire to put meaning to unlikely events so and it is doing its and it is doing its best. So Carl Jung has to extrapolate on where these meaningful coincidences come from, and right. that's where it gets really confusing because he doesn't want to just say God or gods, or he does, he does he seems to avoid religion for the most part. But he also is not buying into the idea that, but he's not ready to fully abandon his base emotional response, which is there's a reason for this.
1: So. Does that mean that the main difference between his theory and the idea of predestination is the lack of a supreme being?
0: Yes, actually. And that's one of the explanations for synchronicity is it's- the belief that in, that the universe is run by a god and that god causes synchronicity in order to communicate with us. And I think that's what June was trying to move away from because that was more or less the assumed reality And most people just weren't ready to accept probability theory, mainstream mathematics, which argues that statistics and probability theory suffice to explain any purported synchronistic event as mere coincidences. So the law of truly large numbers, for instance, this just coming from Wikipedia, but this is a great example, states that in large enough populations, any strange event is arbitrarily likely to happen by mere chance. However, some proponents of synchronicity question whether it's even sensible in principle to try to evaluate synchronicity statistically. Jung argued that statistics work precisely by ignoring what is unique about the individual case, whereas synchronicity tries to investigate that uniqueness.
1: I'm sorry, I can't get past the the predestination part of this. He's trying to argue that every, every event has a unique reason for happening. And we don't know what that reason is, but he's sure it's not God. I don't think he actively
0: tries to disprove that it isn't God. And that's why this caught on like wildfire is because it's broad enough that you can kind of apply it to whatever you want to. You can Can use this for proof that Buddhism is real. You can use this for proof that God is real. Um, You can turn around and use this for proof in the law of truly large numbers. It's it's very flexible.
1: Because I get the idea of, a ton of numbers. Or the idea of the large numbers is I have a million people in a room. Odds are one of them just farted. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know if that's the best example. You can
0: rephrase the law of truly large numbers as uh, the skeptic Penn Gillette. 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 Pin like Fraser Gillette. That? Is uh, that's Penn from Penn and Teller. <laughs> I didn't know his last name. Uh, famously Penn from Penn and Teller says that million to one odds happen eight times a day in New York. The law is meant to make a statement about probabilities and statistical significance. In large enough masses of statistical data, even minuscule fluctuations attain statistical significance. Thus, in truly large numbers of observations, it's paradoxically easy to find significant correlations in large numbers, which still do not lead to causal theories, and which, by their collective number, might lead to obfuscation as well. And this is why we call this the Shallow end, because
1: it feels as though the more we explain, the more confused we become. Can I try and explain what I think synchronicity is? Sure. So is it basically the idea that because everything is always going to happen due to just large numbers and things like that, every single thing has a coincidental reason that it will happen, but we're not calling it a coincidence?
0: Yes, that suffices.
1: So... I feel like that's nothing. (laughs) Well, you're not the
0: first person to argue that. If he is not offering any concrete explanation for these coincidences, but just suggesting that they have meaning, then he's not really offering much of an explanation at all. He's kind of just leaving it up to you to decide where that meaning comes from. We touched on probability theory. Also, we touched on psychology and the idea of confirmation bias, the idea that you're only seeing what you are predispositioned to search for. Likewise, in psychology and sociology, the term apophenia is used used for the mistaken detection of a pattern or a meaning in random and meaningless data. Because people are great at this. People are great at assigning meaning to completely meaningless data. Because we want to find order in the chaos of the universe.
1: When I'm picturing this guy coming up with this quote-unquote theory, I'm imagining a 32-year-old dude in a sh- crappy apartment in Boston, working on his PhD, just took some mushrooms and saying, with big numbers, all things happen. And you know what that means? All things happen. And that's all I can, I I feel like this idea that we are trying to use data and catalog it in ways that we don't understand feels, and this is probably part of the the faith in me, but feels like such a such a workaround to actually having faith. You know what I mean? Yes. I, I get that he's not saying explicitly, oh, this is not God. This is not Buddha. This is not some kind of known religion. But it feels so much like, a ah, this explanation for religion. How do I make it not religion?
0: Yeah. And I think that was just a sign of the times. People wanted to be ra- rational and scientific, but it the hyper-rational kind of fell apart with the introduction of quantum mechanics, where we began to observe things in the universe that were linked but we could not figure out how. And according to a certain point of view, this is the quantum physics explanation of coincidences, synchronicity kind of serves as a way of making sense of or describing some aspects of quantum mechanics. It argues that quantum experiments demonstrate that, at least in the microworld of subatomic particles, there is an instantaneous connection between particles no matter how far away they are from each other. This is true. That's that's known as quantum non-locality or entanglement. This points to a unified field and precedes physical reality. Hang with me a little bit. Hang on. As with archetypal reasoning, the proponents argue that two events can correspond to each other in a meaningful way. Great. So this is how Carl Jung has kind of become synonymous with the pseudoscience because he is... Attempt, he's attempting here to also simplify something that is not fully understood and very complicated. And he was at the time strongly supported by Wolfgang Pauli, who was a well known physicist. And that gave him a sort of air of credibility,
1: gave him a, a step to a stepladder to join the rest of the actual scientists.
0: Yeah. And this guy just looks like he knows what he's talking about. I can see how it was really. His whole persona, if you can look up a photo of Carl Gustav Jung, this guy looks like he has never cracked a smile once in his life. He looks like the driest, most monotone professor you could ever have. Him spouting new age ideas, just his appearance alone <laughs> to me gives it, I, I, you see him, you assume that he's a Nobel Prize winning scientist.
1: How do you reconcile this alongside believing something like the Big Bang? Because I don't, I have no idea. I didn't even, that, that may be too far to the deep end. So I'm not going to, I'm just going to ask a question that we aren't going to answer just so that our listeners have nothing. But one of the main problems I have with this theory is that if we're trying to coincide it with other scientific things we think about, um, how, how would you reconcile this with something as chaotic and not understandable as the big bang? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't know. And that's kind of the biggest one of the biggest beliefs of how the universe started is this all happened with the Big Bang, and then a long time later, somebody created a terrible show about it. I guess <laughs> proof that, that humans are not evolving.: No, proof that we're maybe evolving backwards again is that show got a spin-off show. Uh, yeah. And uh, I wouldn't mind all media being erased and us starting over, but that's just a personal thing. So it sounds like you're feeling a little skeptical. And I can't really blame you. And
0: Benjamin Radford, he'd agree with you too. He says, though Jung had no background in science, his interest lay in mysticism and psychology, he and many other New Age writers invoked quantum physics in support of his ideas. Jung's ideas about synchronicity were given a veneer of scientific respectability through his friendship and support of Wolfgang Pauli, the physicist, who helped promote him. Synchronicity is an interesting philosophical idea. Unfortunately, there's no evidence that it actually exists It is not surprising that synchronicity, like many ideas of Jung and his colleague Sigmund Freud, have not been proven. A century ago, when Jung came up with the idea of synchronicity, it seemed to be an exciting, cutting-edge theory. Unfortunately for Jung, it is one of the many fruitless, quasi-scientific ideas in history that has not stood the test of time. In my mind, it's too ill-defined to prove or disprove, but as I stated at the beginning of the episode, there's a lot more here. If you're interested in the idea that everything happens for a reason, but you're not interested in the idea that there's a divine being causing it, you might be interested in synchronicity. So you might want to do a little more reading.
1: Yeah, that's a uh, that's a weird one for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you
0: can listen to the voice of God. You can listen to the voice of the collective unconsciousness, or you can listen to the voice of reason. as so far as we know it, or you can just listen to Glimmerl a lot easier. Glimmerl brought our theme song "Threadbare," off the burner album, Burn of Proof doing a lot of stammering today. I apologize. Off the album Burden of Proof. You can find that album at GlimmerMusic.com or on Spotify, iTunes, any place you can stream music. The rest of the album is a banger. His follow-up EP is a banger. If you yeah. like the theme song at all, then you're going to love
1: songs where he actually sings and has a phenomenal voice. Because he does that on his other songs. And it's kind of crazy to me. We've been doing this show long enough that he released another EP. I mean, it's been a while since he did it but we we started this when he just had his first one which was excellent but his new one is also excellent which has been a wild success thanks to our support and exclusively our support and synchronicity and synchronicity it's no coincidence no coincidence uh it's also very it's also had wild success due to the fact that it is very good yeah but mean, if you if you want to believe that but uh if you want to follow us on our Instagram We've got an Instagram at Strictly Confidential Show. And then we've got an email at Strictly Confidential Show at gmail.com. We will post about stuff on our Instagram, trying to post creative stuff to tell you, hey, this is what this episode's about. Or hey, this is what a couple weeks episodes ago is episode... About I'll figure out sentences at some point.
0: Stammering is contagious. It's Stammering
1: like hiccups. is contagious. And next week we'll be talking about not that. Man, you
0: speaking can- of confirmation bias, I am positive that hiccups are contagious. And I've been searching for a way to prove that my whole life. Maybe that's something I, like that'll be the first episode where something really stupid and non scientific that I'm convinced of and I got to go to bat for it. That'll be the first time I do that because, man. Hiccups are contagious. I, I did just that one. need the science.
1: <laughs> I, did I just that need the proof. Thing. I did that kind of thing for the the flat Earth one. The flavor you are not Town. a flat Earther. Don't no the Flavor Town episode. Oh I'm, yeah. Okay. I am absolutely not a flat Earther. I have. If anyone thinks for a second you're a flat Earther, they're turning this
0: whole shit off. Where they're never listening again.
1: Yeah. No. Uh, neither of us are flat Earthers, and we would come on the record saying that.
0: Well, I can't tell you much about your best friend other than you guys get along well and probably have similar interests. The opposites attract thing only works for your lover. Best friends have got to be like you. And if you like this podcast, they probably will too.
1: If you want somebody to be your lover, make sure they get with your friends. Yes. That's all I've got. That's the joke. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I checked off the box because I wanted a joke there. Yeah. And And I wrote it really quickly in my head and then said it a little bit differently. I liked it. Thanks, cool. Uh, if if you also liked that joke, please uh, text me. My number is nine one one. Thank you. Nine one one. What's your emergency? I can't stop. I can't stop laughing, dude. Uh, are we done?
0: Is that all we do? I think that's all we do, my dude. Kind of a long one, but like I said, it's a lot to get into, and I hope that we've inspired you to look into it for yourself. Or if you're just complete, if you if your uh, bullshitometer is going off, now you know to avoid it. But until next time, I've been Asher.
1: And I've been Jackson.
0: And you've been listening to Strictly Confidential. And as always, stay synchronistic.